0: It's good to be here. It is good to be here. Um, I am a Churches of Christ minister and I have pastored in lots of different contexts, um, from a tiny little church in Collingwood, which was pretty well full of young adults, all first time believers. Um, to um, multi staff suburban churches. So I've sort of been through the gamut of all kinds of churches. And in in my role with Alpha Australia, what I do is I walk alongside churches and help them get Alpha up and running, um, give them advice, those kinds of things. And one of the things I love about my job is the fact I actually get to meet people right across the body of Christ. And it's just great to just see great things happening in lots and lots of different churches all around our nation. There's this moment at the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. In John 21 verse 17, we read this. So he told Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus replied, feed my sheep. And then in verse 19, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, a lot of the time we read this and we understand it as Jesus telling Peter to look after the already convinced. And, you know, we often hear people in churches talking about um, the need to be fed, this idea that it's the church's responsibility to do everything for them. And to look after them, and that's not untrue. As a community of believers, you know we we do have this thing to look after each other, to share together, and to do things together. Um, however, I want to look about at this about in the context of the there and then. On that day, in that place. The disciples were the only people present. So do you think Jesus was saying to Peter that what he just has to do is look after them? Did Peter just rush up to his friends and say, hey guys, look, Jesus has given me the job of looking after you um, and making sure that you live good lives. So let's have a Bible study. Okay, everybody gather around, turn to First Peter. If that's what Jesus was getting at, Peter blew it. He didn't spend the rest of his life just hanging out with his mates. What he did was start to tell the unconvinced about Jesus. There was no safe life wrapped up in the cocoon of his local church for Peter. His was a life of adventure and challenge as he shared Christ with unbelievers. And that's one of the things I think this passage is about. I think discipleship isn't just about something that happens after you become a Christian. I think Jesus was saying, Go out, reach an unbelieving world, tell them about me. In Matthew 22, there's this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. All day, ever Jesus was speaking, They were trying to trip him up. And then finally one of them says to him, what's the greatest command? And in verse thirty-one, 37 we read, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And, you know, sometimes faith can become a little complex. And in this passage, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day, and these guys were really into making things complicated. And sometimes when I'm having conversations with non-Christians, with people who don't believe, and they say to me, I hate religion. I always say, so do I, because I'm not a religious person. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and he was amongst the least religious people of his day. He didn't complicate faith. He made it really simple. These are his verses from Matthew. He's succinctly spelling out the two greatest commandments, love God, love people. And there's a natural progression that happens here. Loving God and loving people should actually lead us to embrace the third commandment, which comes a few chapters later. It's time for Jesus to leave, and before he goes, he promises them a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he gives them a command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'm surely with you always to the very end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. Now, I'm a simple guy, and my simple take on this is command one, love God wholeheartedly. Command two, love people with passion. Command three, love the world. Live with purpose. Talk and model Jesus. Make disciples. And comforting as it is to know that Jesus is always with us, do you ever wonder how we exactly achieve this disciple-making thing? You know, sometimes we think maybe what it requires is highly trained evangelists to do this work. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's more about how we connect with people and how we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. I want to tell you about my friend Ryan. One evening he was going for a drink after work with his boss and they're walking along looking for this bar that they've heard about. And they see these three women, and so they stop and they ask them for directions. And these women happen to be going to the same bar, and these women also happen to be sisters. And so they're walking along on their way to the bar, and someone asks Ryan what he does, and he says, well, I work in the construction industry, and um, I'm a part-time pastor. They carry on, they get to the bar, and they're still talking together. They're ordering drinks. And um, someone says, what's the best thing that's happened to you this year? And one of these women says to her sister, the best thing that happened to you was you met that guy. You should leave your husband for him. So this woman turns to Ryan and says, well, you're a pastor. What do you think? (laughs) So there's a lot of responses Ryan could have made here. But what he actually did was he just talked to her for a few minutes about a biblical perspective of marriage. And then he told her about this thing called the marriage course, um, which is actually an alpha thing. Um, And it's a thing where basically couples go out, have a meal together, all couples sitting at separate tables, they have a meal, They watch a video and there's pauses in the video for them to discuss things from the video. So he tells her all about that, said that could be a really helpful thing. Gives her his card, says to her, I will help you find one that's near you if you would like. See, this woman, she had a basic knowledge of Christianity. But she'd never before thought that Christianity actually had anything to do with her life. Now she's wondering. We've got no idea what she's going to do with this conversation, but Ryan was just obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. And he just talked with her openly and honestly and in a non religious way. And believe me, there are a lot more people out there like her. There's also a staggering number of people who have no real understanding or knowledge even of God. People who have grown up in an environment where basically they default to being an atheist because that's all they know. That's what they're told. They've never researched to get to be an atheist. They just think, well, I've been told there's no God, so that's it. So where does that leave us? I think that Great Commission is way simpler than we've been led to believe. Look at Jesus. His interactions with people are simple and not at all religious. In today's reading, we find the resurrected Jesus walking alongside a couple of his followers. They're in a deep discussion. And Jesus walks up and asks them what they're talking about. Notice Jesus starts with a question. He's interested. He's curious. He wants to know what they're discussing, what are they thinking and feeling. And you know, Cleopas says to him, "You're the only one who doesn't know what's been happening." Jesus asks another question: "What things?" And they pour their hearts out to him, all about Jesus and all about everything that would happen. Just notice that Jesus just lets them articulate. What's on their minds before he starts answering their questions. And in verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And they're so engaged in this conversation that when they get to Emmaus, they beg him to come and spend the night with them because they want to carry on talking. The thing I love about this passage is that Jesus enters their discussion. He doesn't begin a new one. Instead, he joins in with what they're already talking about, and he connects with them right where they're at. When they realize it was Jesus that they've been talking to, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And so I think that this is actually the core concept of the Great Commission. For most of us, it's not seeing how many people come forward in a huge Salvation altar call. It's about walking alongside people, allowing people to express how they think and feel. Then, even when they're curious, talking about Jesus and giving them an opportunity to find faith for themselves. People don't want to be told what to believe. But it's surprising how many are open to a conversation about faith. We live in an apartment building and we had a new family move in and I noticed that they had um, these kind of circle drawings and things outside their door on the ground and Um, and it looked like it was some kind of chalky type something or other that was made by them, and I'm curious as to what this is. And so I took a photo of it, and you can do this thing called a Google reverse image search. So I did that and discovered that my neighbours were Hindu. So I see the husband of this household quite frequently, and you know, we usually have a little bit of conversation and it's usually been around lockdown and working from home, which is the predominant conversation that everybody's been having really. Um, But just recently, he's talked a little bit about what he believes and I've talked a little bit about what I believe. Um, It's a work in progress. We'll just keep walking alongside him. Henri Nouwen, who was a Dutch priest and writer, said this, Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. As it turns out, this is exactly what Alpha does. It creates a welcoming atmosphere where people can freely talk about the idea of God. And by loving and accepting people, offering them a safe, non-judgmental atmosphere, we're providing what Nauen's talking about, a space where change can take place. On Alpha, we don't provide the change. We simply provide an environment for the change to take place. You know, when Simon Peter's brother Andrew met Jesus, he was very excited and he was really eager to share it with people. In John one forty one we read, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Effectively, Andrew invited Peter to come and see. Come and see for himself. And often we make this assumption that our non-Christian friends aren't at all interested in faith. But recent research tells us that 40% of Australians would be open to an accepting an invitation to just an ordinary church service if they were asked by a close friend or family member. Why would they do that? Top three reasons relationship, to support or affirm their friend or family member. They're curious about attending. They're open to trying new things. And they appreciated the idea of connecting with other people. And quite possibly in these post-lockdown times, people will appreciate that way more. So how do we invite people to anything to church, to Alpha, whatever it might be. Ask yourself this question. Who is a person that God is preparing for me to invite? We all have a network of relationships that generally fall into four categories. Friends, family, neighbours and co-workers or classmates. Just ask yourself another few questions. Who do I know on a first name basis? Who are the people with whom I share a similar interest? Who seems open or likely to respond to an invitation? And from these people make a list. People that you might invite and give that to God. And the other thing you need to do is practice. Think about how you're going to invite people. Spend some time Thinking how how you'll broach it, you know. Something like, would you like to come to Alpha? But then wait and see how they respond. They might have questions. Wait and listen to what the questions might be. And make it personal. Invite people to go with you. Make it interesting. You know, it's not, ah, oh, look, we've got this thing happening. It's called Alpha, ah. I don't know whether you'd be interested. You might be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could come if you want to. You know, it's like we've got Alpha starting. I'm going to check it out. Do you want to come with me? And make it easy. If you're inviting someone to Alpha, don't ask them to sign up for the whole thing. Just ask them to come to week one. No strings attached. And just say, oh, I'm going to check it out. Do you want to come along? And make it clear. Make sure you've got some kind of printed information that's got the dates, the time, the location. God is always at work in people's lives, and he often directs us to people. If you're willing and prepared, they up all kinds of opportunities and all we need to do is ask God to open our eyes he can help us see opportunities to invite people that might come through daily conversations in shops at school at work at the hairdresser um, at the gym we don't know what's going on inside people even people we know well 1 Corinthians 3.6 says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. When we get a yes, we might be reaping the work of someone who's actually been asked before by somebody else. When we get a no, we could be actually planting for somebody else to reap. A lot of the time we struggle because we haven't got over the last time someone said no to us. But the reality is that we most likely will get more no's than yes's. What do you think the biggest barrier to inviting someone to church or to Alpha is? Anybody know? Yeah? Fear. It's Fear. What if they say no? Here's a thought. goes against almost everything our culture teaches us. It's okay to fail. It's very sad this week to hear of two great cricket legends pass away. But I was actually planning to talk about Shane Warne this morning, so... I am for a moment. Um, Shane Warne is generally regarded as one of the greatest test match bowlers of all time. Okay? He's bowled around 40,000 balls, 708 test match wickets. Do you realize that that's 39,292 balls of failure? Man, that's like a wicket every 55, 56 balls, you know? But it does keep going, doesn't he? God sends Moses to Pharaoh 10 times before he lets the people go. A record company executive told the Beatles that they had no future because guitar bands are on the way out. And my favourite is this one. C.S. Lewis received over 800 letters of rejection before he sold a single piece of writing. So I think, I really want to encourage you that there'll be someone in your life who will accept an invitation to church or to Alpha. There will be someone, but only if you ask them. And I think that simply inviting someone to church or just having a spiritual conversation with someone, that is how we all play our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. The only reason I'm standing here today is because somebody walked alongside me. I grew up in church. I left church when I was about 17, and I didn't stop believing in God, but I didn't believe that I had to do anything or have anything to do with God. And I struggled with the idea of Jesus being God. And so I just went off and lived my life. Um, and in my late 20s, I kind of went on, had a bit of a crisis, I think, started um, searching a little bit for things. And I went down an Eastern mysticism, Eastern religion road um, because that was kind of the cool and the trendy thing to do at the time. So that's what I did. Um, but I didn't really like any of those. And I didn't check out Christianity because I'd been there and I'd done that. Um, and I knew all about it. You know, I knew that Christians really, um, they're fairly boring. Um, and they're not that bright, really. You know that that was my perspective. Um, but then a work colleague started to engage me in conversations about faith. Now this was before Alpha even existed. And but actually, what they did was actually what really happens on Alpha, because they told me what they believed in. And they let me tell them what I believed in. They never argued with me. They were always gracious. And it was really messing with me because they were um, quite intelligent and very engaging. They weren't this sort of slightly dull, disinteresting person that I had pegged Christians to be. So I thought, okay, I need to investigate Christianity. And in those days, when you wanted to do some research, you had to go to a thing called a library. (laughs) And so I did that. And so I did a bit of research. And then I started going to church. And I was the sort of secret churchgoer. And I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. Certainly didn't tell my colleague. And I had a strategy. I would walk into church at the very last minute, just after it had started, and I'd walk out just as it was finishing. That way I didn't have to talk to anyone. Then one week I kind of messed it up and I walked in and about halfway down the aisle there were half a dozen people, one of whom was the minister, and they all turned and looked at me and welcomed me. And it was like I had nowhere to go. I was trapped by these kind people. <laughs> and um, so I, I attended the service. Um, I wasn't really too sure what was going on. Uh, but, yeah, it was right. People, the people were really nice. And I thought, actually, these people are really, really nice people. And somebody said to me, um, so what brings you here today? And when I was leaving, I'm thinking, what does bring me here today? Why have I come? Why is this happening? And I'd started to ask myself this question, you know, is this all true? Is, is all this stuff real? And I was going, God, actually, I think I want to believe this. So anyway, I confessed to my colleague that I'd been to church, and they just asked you going back? And I said, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure. You know, it's a bit weird. And they said, oh, well, I'll come with you if, if you want me to, which I realised later was actually quite a sacrifice for them to give up their own service and come to this rinky-dinky little, very tiny church um, <clears throat> with me. Um, but they did that, and then I started to have a few meetings with the minister and started to get a little bit more of an understanding of things. And then one day, my colleague just looked at me and said, is there anything that would prevent you handing your life over to God right now? And there wasn't. So I am so grateful that someone took the time to walk alongside me. So grateful, in fact, that we will have been married 32 years um, this November. (laughs) Yeah. So my challenge to you and to me today is who are these people in your lives and what are you doing in helping them come and see? Let me pray. Father, we embrace with joy the knowledge that your love and acceptance is free, and we're aware that there are many who have wandered away from you, many who live with you but don't engage with you, and still others who have never, ever known you. We pray for all those people today. May they find themselves in conversations about you and be stirred to go on a journey of discovery. And Father God, we pray that as we move about the daily routines of our lives, we will allow ourselves to be open to the prompting of your Spirit. Give us the insight and the courage to have the important conversations with people. And to always do so with love and humility. Amen.